Well, on the verse of Bible study tonight, I've had a pretty rough day. You're asking some tough questions. Yeah, these are going to be tough questions. We're going to talk about divorce and remarriage, and that's always a tough subject, very emotional, uh, but it also can be pretty divisive. We want to just try to go to the scriptures and see what we can learn. Uh, we've got some important questions I think we'll try to answer. All right, so maybe we can have some simple answers to some tough questions. Maybe we'll ought to go for that. We're going to get started. We're going to start right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, November 29th, 2018. Uh, my name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Hey, Jacob. Great to be with you. Good to be with you. Kyle's behind the controls tonight. Kyle, welcome. It's good to be here. Yeah, glad that you're here, Kyle. Uh, and we're glad that you're here on the other end of the line tonight, and we want to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com or in the email, or in the email, or in the chat room, sorry, to the bottom of your video feed. Uh, you can sign in and chat with other listeners there tonight. You really, uh, well, I, don't, I don't know, kick the beehive is the right word here, but you really, uh, boy, you spawned a lot of questions yeah, today. We, we sent out some questions, and we'll comment about those in a minute, but we only got one person trying to answer the questions we sent out. Uh, that's our faithful correspondent, Kent, from Georgia. But we got a whole stack of additional questions that people asked. Makes me think, Jake, Jacob, that people have questions but not a lot of answers. And uh, uh, but we're going to try to we're going to try to give some answers. If we can get to these extra questions, we will. If not, we'll save them for another time. Uh, we'll try to go through the questions that we sent out. I think. There'll be an awful lot of overlap. A lot, I think a lot of what we say will be applicable to some of these other qu- additional questions that have been asked. Um, but that's what we, that's the way we're going to approach it. Okay. We're going to try to stay on the questions that we ask, just for sake of uh, organization. Yeah. And then, at, at, as it, when we get through those, and when we get kind of work our way through that process, then we will go to these extra questions. And if we don't get them all done, we'll try to do it in, a, in an additional program. So we're going to have to move future. fast tonight. Yeah. Right. Uh, so to our update list earlier today, we sent out these questions. First of all, we just want to explain the institution of marriage and the basis for authority in regulating marriage. Number two, so here's some questions about divorcing. Can I divorce or put away my mate if, one, my mate has committed fornication? Two, my mate has not committed fornication. Can I Can I divorce my mate? And if I did, my mate has not committed fornication, and I divorced my mate, in that case, would it be okay so long as I don't remarry? Okay. And finally, can I divorce if my mate has become involved in viewing pornography? Right. That's a question we get a lot. Right. Then, about remarriage. Can I remarry if I have divorced and put away my mate due to fornication? Okay. Can I remarry if I have been divorced and put away by my mate as one who committed fornication? Okay. What if I have been divorced by my mate and I did not commit fornication? Uh, we want to talk about that. 
And then we talk about sort of the, the progression of events or the sequence of events uh, a little bit in connection with that. And then finally, the last question, if my mate has died, must I marry only a Christian from oh. 1 Corinthians 7.39? Right. So let's go real quickly into the, the first part of this, just establishing uh, the regulatory authority for divorce and okay. remarriage. Uh, God certainly, we know, I think everybody who's listening tonight and everybody who's contributing uh, knows and agrees that God is the author of marriage. Uh, we can go back to Genesis 2 and read about the institution of marriage. Yes. Jesus quoted the, the, the very first information about marriage. Jesus quoted that in Matthew 19, verse, uh, verses 4 and following. Uh, so Genesis 2 said, uh, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him, verse 18. Then in verse 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. In Matthew 19, Jesus said, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Okay. So Jesus quoted from the Genesis episode and, and, and certainly acknowledges God as the author uh, of marriage, and, and he is the one who has... Uh, the regulatory authority in marriage. Right. Uh, it's intended to be a permanent relationship. Uh, in First Corinthians seven, or excuse me, in Romans seven verse two, the woman which hath a, a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. It's intended to be a permanent relationship. Sometimes we very simply say God's plan is one man, one woman for life. Yeah. And, and that is the general rule. We want to talk about an ex, a possible exception to that here in a minute. But that is, that is the rule, not, not believed by very many people in the world today. But that is clearly what the Bible Absolutely. says on it. Yeah. Uh, when we enter into marriage, we enter into a binding covenant. In, in Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is the companion and your wife by covenant. Yep. Uh, let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. So uh, we need to understand we've made a promise, a commitment, a, 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 an obligation. We've obligated ourselves. We've made a covenant, a binding agreement. And we cannot take lightly the idea of breaking that covenant promise. Right. right. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 1, we won't take time to read that whole list of sins of the pagan Gentile world in the first century. But one of the sins that they were guilty of was they were covenant breakers. Correct. And, we, and certainly, any way you look at it, someone who divorces without God's authority is breaking a covenant that they a promise. made. Yeah. And then, of course, if you... If you divorce, uh, you are going to fail to fulfill responsibilities that that you have assumed when you married. Physical responsibilities, uh, sexual intimate responsibilities. You, you're you're going to be failing to fulfill responsibilities that you took upon yourself when you got married. Divorce is a very serious matter. God is the only 
regulatory authority over marriage. Absolutely. Kent put it this way. He says the institution of marriage finds its origin in the mind of God, Matthew 19, 4-6. Because such is the case, such must be regulated by the authority of the Scriptures rather than by subjective thinking and personal desires. I think that's a really, the last part of that especially that Kent mentioned, subjective thinking, I would say, Maybe even subjective emotions. I how often when we're talking about divorce and remarriage do we hear people say, "Well, I just don't think God would do that." Right. Uh, that's just that's just hard for me to believe that God put that kind of re- restriction on somebody. Yep. And so they 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 apply their think sos, uh, their emotions, rather than the objective standard of God's word. All right. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeu dot com. Send your comments in the chat room tonight. We'll try and get to those in just a little bit. Uh, so the scriptures are very clear. You know, you would think with the some book confusion in the religious world on this subject, you would think that the scriptures maybe not be clear on it, uh, maybe somewhat uh, difficult to understand. But the passages you have noted there are very explicit in God's uh, expectations about marriage being uh, a binding covenant, uh, a permanent relationship. Uh, one that God does not allow to be severed. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've heard, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, it's just too confusing, it's too difficult. I wish God had had revealed more about it, which I think is a big mistake. God's revelation is perfect. And I actually think in regards to marriage that the way the the, the instructions about marriage are given in the inspired word allow them to be applied in every particular situation every specific case every unique scenario kyle and i were talking earlier about every case is unique they all are unique but in god's wisdom he he made a uh, a revelation of his will that is applicable in every scenario if we will apply it We've got to be willing to be committed to do what the word of god says uh god has been clear we try to make it harder than it is, I think, a lot of times because we throw our emotions into the mix. All right. Um, all right. All right. So let's get into these specific questions we ask. Now, the first one, I think, is real easy. Can I divorce or put away my mate if my mate has committed fornication? Okay. Well, that wouldn't seem uh, fairly straightforward. Uh, let's, the, the two passages, we'll look at them both right now, and then we'll keep coming back to them. Matthew 19.9. In that in that same context that we read earlier, uh, what where Jesus said in Matthew nineteen verse six, what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. In verse nine of the same context, Jesus offers his exception to that general rule. The okay. general rule is do not put asunder. But he said in verse nine, nineteen nine, whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for fornication. And shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. So, uh, notice in the King James Version, it even uses the word except. It's an exception. The exception being that if my marriage partner has been sexually unfaithful to me, has committed fornication, I am allowed to put that person away. Now, the other verse, and also in Matthew, this comes actually from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus 
Some people quibble in Matthew 19 that Jesus was answering the Pharisees, and the Pharisees in their questioning of Jesus even referenced Moses and what Moses allowed and didn't allow. And so some people try to argue that in Matthew 19, Jesus was explaining the law of Moses, which he was not. He was establishing his own authority on that matter. But in Matthew 5, there's no reference to Moses at all. He's, you know, he does reference, I guess, the law of Moses in verse 31 when he said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorces. That's what's been said. But I say, Jesus is contrasting what he says with what has been said. So I guess I have to, I have to retract that a little bit. In, in that sense, the context does make reference to the way the Jews were applying but the law in of contrast. Moses. But he is clearly contrasting himself to that. He says, uh, I say to you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. So there Jesus again offers that exception. If my marriage partner has been guilty of fornication, I can put her away. There's authority here from Jesus for doing that. In regards to whether or not Jesus there were just clarifying Moses in either one of those texts, actually that would not be a clarification. What Jesus was saying would not be a clarification of what Moses said, because under the law of Moses, uh, if a marriage partner committed fornication, the penalty for that under the law of Moses was stoning. Right. So Jesus is not clarifying Moses. He's establishing his own rule of law in regards to marriage, and he offers that exception. So in, in, in the first part, can I put away my mate if my mate has committed fornication? The answer from Matthew nineteen nine and Matthew five thirty two has to be yes. Okay. Um, now, take the take the other alternative on that. What if my mate has not committed fornication? Uh, there's no authority in these statements for me to do, to divorce my mate. If my mate has not committed a fornication, whosoever shall put away his wife. Now, skip the exception because the exception doesn't apply. My, my mate has not committed fornication. Whosoever shall put away his wife and shall marry another committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. So the answer is no. I'm, I'm not allowed to do that. In Matthew 5.32, whosoever shall put away his wife. Leave out the exception because we're not talking about the exception. This is a case where the exception doesn't apply. Whosoever shall put away his wife causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. So uh, in, in this sense, um, we could go to also in Luke 16. Uh, uh, where am I here? Uh Verse 18, Luke 16, 18. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. Whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. Okay. So there Luke, in Luke's account, the exception is not stated, <clears throat> and clearly it's not allowed. It's not authorized. All right, so you've answered two of the questions you posed here. Can I divorce my mate if my mate has committed fornication? Yes, there's provision for that. Can I divorce my mate if my mate has not committed fornication? You've answered that question. When we get back from the break, we need to ask another question. Well, what if I just don't get married? You know. What, yeah. So what? I so I I haven't committed fornication. My my wife hasn't committed fornication, but but I want a divorce. I just don't want to be married anymore. 
Is it okay so long as I don't marry again? Don't have any that, intention to get remarried again. That's no. the question we just often wanna, asked. Yeah, we just we we just don't like being married, and so we're just going to be divorced, but we're not going to get remarried. God going to be okay with that? We're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The Verse Bible State continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. Hi, this is Jordan Sanders from College View Church of Christ, and here's some thoughts for you today. Have you ever wondered why there never seems to be enough time to get everything done? Well, we may not have the answer. According to an article in U.S. News, an average American in his lifetime will spend six months at a stop sign, eight months opening junk mail, one year looking for misplaced items, two years unsuccessfully trying to return telephone calls, five years waiting in the line, and six years eating. Other recent studies suggest that we will spend as much as 20 years watching TV and even more time sleeping. Now, to put this in proper perspective, think of this. If you attend every service of church, Sunday Bible study, Sunday morning and evening worship, and Wednesday night Bible study, you will spend only about 1.5 years total. That's only slightly more time than you will spend looking for misplaced items and only about twice as much time as you will spend opening junk mail. But some Christians will not even do this much. Over and over again, we return to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Do not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. God commands us to assemble. Why? The context of this verse clearly shows that it is for our benefit. Are you taking advantage of this great blessing? Christian, how are you using your time? If you don't regularly attend all of the services, you may be spending more time opening junk mail than worshiping God. Isn't that a terrifying thought? Here's some quotes worth pondering. If what you're working for really matters, you'll give it your all. Don't measure yourself by what you've accomplished, but by what you should have accomplished with your ability. If you do not wish to be prone to anger, do not feed the habit. Give it nothing which may tend to its increase. Blessed is the man who, having nothing to say, abstains from giving wordy evidence of the fact. Truth does not depend on consensus opinion. This is true greatness, to serve unnoticed and to work unseen. Man, wish I'd said that. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Back on the program tonight as we talk about divorce and remarriage and look at some of the tough questions regarding the subject. Nikki in the chat room poses a question along the lines of what we've been talking about. She says, if an individual divorces their mate other than for fornication, both parties are not allowed to remarry, correct? They are to remain celibate and single? I think that's correct, Nikki. Stay, stay with us because we'll, we'll, we'll be touching on principles that will apply to that, but I think your take on that is correct. Okay. With the uh, exception of being remarried, of course. Do what? With, with the exception of being remarried. What she says, the, the, they, 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 they could be remarried. I'm sorry, to themselves, to each other. Well, some take it even an exception about that. Uh, okay. Uh, put because one of them has been put away. And, okay. Okay. So we, we'll we'll leave. That's kind of an outlier there, but we'll leave that alone. Okay. All right. Uh, you could. Uh, well, <laughs> we'll let's, let's hang on to that before we dive off into that rabbit hole. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Go ahead. Uh, Thanks for the question, Nikki. So the, the question, follow-up question is so. I want to divorce my mate. My mate has not committed fornication. And I want to know if I can do that just so long as I don't remarry. Is it okay if I do that if I don't remarry? Well, divorce is sinful in that case. I'd be committing a sin to do that for all the reasons that we just talked about. Uh, we made a vow. We we entered into a covenant. We assumed responsibilities. We made promises. 
And I'd be breaking all of those things if I divorced. And so the answer is no, you can't do it. Jesus said again in Matthew 19, verse 6, What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put us under. When you do what the Lord says don't do, that's a sin. And so we couldn't sign off on that and say, sure, it's okay, just just don't get remarried. Remarriage would be a sin too, but that's not the only sin. The divorce itself would be a sin. And so the answer is no, you can't do that. Now, a verse that comes to in is often comes up in those discussions is First Corinthians seven verse ten. And some people like to use this passage as justification for divorcing as long as they don't remarry. In First Corinthians seven verse ten, to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Now, here, notice, and, and this sort of goes That's to the question Mickey's you were question. asking right. earlier. But here, notice, the passage says, don't do it. Let not the wife depart from her husband. Let not the husband put away his wife. So even in these verses, it says, don't do that. Well, if you do what the Bible says don't do, that is by definition a sin. And and that being the case, the part where it says remain unmarried or be reconciled, uh, the remain unmarried would mean uh, don't compound the sin you have already committed by marrying someone else. You're not supposed to divorce. When you divorced, you sin. If you go off and marry somebody else, you're going to be committing an additional sin. Don't do that. So uh, in order to harmonize this passage with all else we know in the scriptures on the subject, I really believe that the take on this passage has to be don't do it. It's a sin to do it. And if you do do it, certainly don't compound your sin by marrying someone else that you don't have authority to be married to. Right. So it's it's not giving a provision for doing it. It's just saying if you do it. Don't mess up and do something else. Now, to Nikki's question about the two being remarried, doesn't First Corinthians yeah, seven give re- you the, 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 the I think so. to be re- reconciled? So if they yeah. had gotten divorced unscripturally, that passage would tell them get reconciled. They could reconcile. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. Now, uh, see what Kent has to say on on that. On that. Uh, okay. sequence of questions. Okay, Kent says the concept of divorce must be regulated by the New Testament. The New Testament does authorize the innocent mate uh, divorcing their mate who is guilty of the sin of fornication. The New Testament does not authorize one in divorcing their mate who has not committed fornication, Matthew 5.32, Matthew 19.9. The situation addressed in Matthew chapters 5 and 19 deals with the, both divorce and remarriage. Because it is the case that there is only authority for remarriage of the innocent mate who has divorced their mate because of their mate's fornication, there is authority only for divorce because of fornication. If one seeks to divorce their mate where no fornication is, there is no fornication, such would be a violation of Matthew 19, verse 6. Let not man put us under. And would be without New Testament authority, even though there would be uh, no remarriage. Okay, now hang on. The the next part of the question comes. So Kent uh, takes the same view on that as we do. There's no authority for divorce when fornication has not occurred. It would be sinful. It would be without authority. Now, one more part of that initial question was, can I divorce or put away my mate if my mate has become involved in viewing pornography? Okay. That's, that's, a, that's a question we're getting more and more these mm-hmm. days because, unfortunately, 
pornography is is a, a, a rapidly growing addiction because right. of the internet, right? Primarily, um, so could we divorce? Could have could have mate? And typically, this would be a woman divorcing her husband because he's become involved in viewing pornography. It could go the other way, but it's not typically that way. It's typically the man who's guilty of viewing pornography. My answer to that is no. That would not serve as a, as a basis for scriptural divorce because it's not fornication. Uh, it actually, the word pornography comes from the same word as fornication, pornea. But actually, fornication or pornea, the literal definition of it means illicit or illegal sexual contact. Right. And viewing pornography, it's sinful. It's lust. It's lasciviousness. You probably pile up a number of things that make viewing pornography a sin. But it's not fornication by definition and therefore would not fulfill the, the requirement or authority that Jesus states in Matthew 19.9, Matthew 5.32. It's a big problem. It's a huge problem. It's a sin, but it doesn't serve as a basis for scriptural divorce. That's along the lines of what Kent said. He says, the viewing of pornography is indeed sinful. Certainly, if such a sin is not forgiven, it will cause those who, without repentance, engage in such to be lost. However, pornography does not come under the purview of fornication and therefore does not within itself bring about the right for remarriage on the part of the innocent victim. Well, pornography can and oftentimes leads to fornication. The sin of fornication is inclusive of a physical act, whereas the viewing of pornography alone would be a matter exclusively of the heart and or mind, Matthew 5.28. Yeah, and Jesus said in Matthew 5.28, if a man looks on a woman to lust after, he's committed adultery in his heart. But adultery in heart is different than actual or literal adultery. Yes. And so uh, that's a really, really tough issue and, and increasingly a problem. But I do not believe that we could offer... Uh, authority to a mate to divorce and on that basis it, I, it doesn't fit the bill it doesn't it doesn't enter into the the requirements set forth uh, in the exception that Jesus stated all right more uh, questions and, coming and, in the chat room tonight we'll have to get these uh, as we go along here yeah uh, yeah we're not able to keep up with the chat room there's a lot of questions flying back and forth in there in the however in on the YouTube chat window Anthony asks, or states, uh, Matthew 19.9 is so plain. Jesus makes it so simple for us. 2 Corinthians 11.3, we need to have humble and contrite hearts. Where is your faith? The Pharisees and Jews are still around, just trying to take away simplicity and distort it to their own comfort. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 is real. And I think he means there that the devil is using that. Okay. And I think he's correct. All right. Uh, Shall we get into question number three? Okay, uh, how much time we got? We've got a couple minutes here. All right, we'll do the first part of question three. I think it comes fairly straightforward. Can I remarry if I have divorced, put away my mate due to fornication? Uh, let's go back to the same verses that we were referencing earlier in, in Matthew 19.9. I say to you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, commits adultery. Okay, now stop there. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication. Well, in this case, it was fornication, right? So a man has put away his wife, and it is for fornication. And so when he marries another, he does not commit adultery. Put it, put it this way. Whoever puts away his wife, 
and there has not been fornication and marries another commits adultery. The inverse of that would be then whoever uh, puts away his wife for the cause of fornication and marries another does not commit adultery. Yeah. Uh, so uh, our, our, our answer to the first part of that, I think, is, is straightforward. I, I know that in the chat room and in some of the additional questions that have been sent in, there are some who differ with that, uh, who, who argue that there's no authority for remarriage. But if you if you logically look at the construction of that statement by Jesus, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication. Well, this is for fornication. So whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another commits adultery, except it be unless it was for fornication. If I was going to paraphrase that, I would say, whosoever shall, shall divorce his wife and marry another commits adultery unless it was for fornication. And so clearly if it was for fornication, then that that is saying that this marrying another would not be adultery. The exception clause has to modify both the putting away and the remarriage in this yeah, sentence I grammatically. So. I think so. Okay. Uh, Uh, Let's catch the first part of Kent's answer on that, and we'll take our break. The situation regarding remarriage following divorce, like divorce itself, must be regulated by the authority of the New Testament. We've already noted that the innocent mate having divorced the guilty fornicating mate does have the authority for remarriage, Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9. We also stress uh, that in a situation where the innocent mate has divorced a guilty mate because of fornication and has a scriptural right for remarriage, the innocent divorced mate is only authorized for remarriage to a scripturally qualified partner, that is, one who has never been married, one whose former partner has died, or one who has divorced a former fornicating mate. Okay. So they could remarry. I think can't clarify something there that we didn't touch on, and I hope, it, hope it, people understand that. We're not, if you're going to remarry, it would have to be remarriage to an eligible marriage partner. Uh, you could, uh, hopefully that is understood. All right, let's, let's get a break, get this week's bullet point when we get back. We're about to finish up your questions, uh, but the next one is, what about uh, someone who's been divorced for a reason uh, who's not committed fornication? Or I've been divorced uh, because I did commit fornication, or I've been divorced and no fornication was involved. Can I remarry? Yeah. Let's talk about that, and then we've got lots of listener questions to get to. We'll try and get to those, and we hope you'll keep sending them in. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of Peter Wilson. A number of studies and surveys on evangelism have shown that as high as 90% of all conversions are directly related to a personal invitation from a family member, a neighbor, or a fellow worker. Yet the tremendous potential of a personal invitation has not impressed many church members. Many aids and schemes have been tried in the area of personal evangelism, but there is nothing more effective than one person sitting down at a table with another person with a Bible between them. It will not be our programs, our advertising, or our gimmicks that lead the world to Christ. It will be God's power working in us through the gospel, coupled with our fervent prayers that will accomplish this task. Unless we pray daily, even with tears, for their salvation, and unless we commit ourselves to doing something specific every week in the interest of those souls, we are not walking in the footsteps of those who cried and died for the lost. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hey, Mommy. I'm too old. Um, this is the virtual Bible study.
Broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. TheVirtualBibleStudy.com is our website address. Check it out. Check us out. Uh, come and worship with us. Find out more about our meeting times and locations at our website. You'd be our welcome guest. We would welcome you to come. Talking about divorce and remarriage tonight and tough questions. And the tough questions keep coming in in the chat room tonight. But uh, I think we're going to keep on wading through. Uh, yeah, the we'll wait we through these, and then we'll try to get some of these extra ones that have been sent in. A lot of uh, what-if questions have been sent in, and, and we'll try to w- walk through them. Hopefully we're setting forth the principles that are applicable in every scenario. If we will apply them, I think they will work. And we'll try to help with that in, in, in just a little bit. But okay. let's let's continue with these questions. All right. So we already answered, can I remarry if I have divorced, put away my mate due to fornication? I believe the answer is yes. Okay. Now, what if I have been divorced? What my mate put me away, be- and she did it because I committed fornication. Yeah. So what about what about that scenario? Well, I, I don't. Typically, there's very little arguing about the so-called guilty person. Uh, there's, there's very little argument about whether. The guilty party in a divorce could remarry. Almost everybody says no, mm-hmm. uh, unless you take a just an extremely liberal view of divorce remarriage. Uh, I, I think most conservative approaches to this say no. Again, Matthew nineteen nine: Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, shall marry another, committeth adultery. Whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. There you go. So, marrying a put away person. Causes adultery. Now, think about that. Think about that. If the put-away person was guilty of fornication, it says, whosoever marries her that put away doth commit adultery. What? But, but the next part of this question is, what if a person has not committed adultery? Well, the, the put-away, whosoever, so a man divorces his wife, and he didn't have a right to do it. She hadn't committed a fornication. Well, whoever marries her is put away. Doth commit adultery. Yeah, there you go. And so, really, the verse is saying any put away person is forbidden to remarry. Notice Jesus said again in Matthew five thirty two, whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. Okay, so he put away his wife. It wasn't for fornication. What does he do? He causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever marries her that is divorced commits adultery. Matthew 5.32 is even more direct to that specific case of an innocent put-away person. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it, he says, if you put your wife away f- not for fornication, you would cause her to commit adultery. Okay. Uh, if she had already committed fornication, <clears throat> obviously she had, she had committed adultery on her own. But if you put her away when she hadn't committed fornication, you would be causing her to commit fornication. So I think the... The answer to that is if I'm a put-away person, if I'm guilty of fornication, I can't remarry. And even if I'm not guilty of fornication, I can't remarry. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I think a, general, a good general rule is no put-away person can remarry, okay. innocent or guilty. A put-away person, a person who has been divorced from their, by their mate, a person who has been put away, Cannot remarry. Kent says there's no authority, for, New Testament authority, for one who has been put away because of the sin of fornication to remarry. Uh, and you would go broader and say there's no New Testament authority for one who's been put away to remarry. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
Okay. Um, the, the other part of that question is, well, what if? Okay, so I'm in this. I'm in this situation. Yeah. I I am not guilty of fornication. My mate put me away, but I had not committed fornication. For that matter, she hadn't committed fornication either. No, no fornication involved in this divorce. But she put me away. Well, I can't remarry. We just covered it. But what if five years from now, mm-hmm. my mate finds another partner and engages in sexual activity? Could I then remarry because my mate now has committed fornication? <clears throat> Could I remarry then? Kent answers it this way. He says, there's no New Testament authority for the waiting game regarding a divorce without fornication. To free one of the divorce mates to wait out the other regarding the sin of fornication following the divorce. I think Kent's right. We used to call that used to be the terminology we used years and years ago. We talked about the waiting game. I'm I'm just tired of my wife. I'm I'm going to divorce her. And then I'm just going to wait her out. And when she, in a moment of weakness, engages in a sexual activity with another man, then I'm going to use that as my basis to say, now I'm free. Now, in more recent years, that has come to be identified as the mental divorce position. And the reason why it's called mental divorce is, so we got a divorce. The divorce is final. We're not married anymore. Neither of us has committed fornication. But at some point later, years later maybe, my mate commits fornication well, I can't divorce now because the divorce is already taking place. I just do it in my mind. I mentally divorce her now. Mentally, I put her away or repudiate her, and I can remember. There's no basis for that in the scriptures okay. at all. all right. So we often say the sequence matters. You have to. You're married. Your marriage partner commits fornication. You divorce for the cause of fornication. Fornication has to be the known cause. And action taken on that basis to end the marriage. And only then can the innocent person have the right to remarry. All right. All right. Uh, we've got a lot of particulars. Do you want to, you want to go to some of these particulars and hold off on the last question? Maybe we we'll use that. And uh, uh, we won't have time to get to all these anyway. We had a question uh, asked, if my mate died, must I marry only a Christian? Let's cover that real fast, and we'll say we covered all our questions okay. anyway. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, Paul, the, really, uh, the whole 7th chapter of 1 Corinthians deal with this marriage question, uh, but he says in 1 Corinthians seven thirty-nine, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, some take that to mean that, that a widow could marry again obviously she's not her her mate is dead and she can marry again but some want that expression only in the lord to mean that she would have to marry a christian she would be obligated to marry only a christian uh i'm not convinced that that's the true meaning of that she can marry again i would if i was going to paraphrase that she can marry again but only in accordance with God's regulations of marriage. Now, she could only marry, she could marry again, but only to an eligible marriage partner. Okay. Uh, uh, here's a place where a similar expression is used in Ephesians six, uh, verse one: "Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right." Does that mean children only have to obey their parents if their parents are Christians? Mm, good point. 
No. It means obey your parents in accordance and, to and according, in, as they are instructing you in compliance with the will of God. If my if my dad told me go out and go out and steal me some beer, well, I'm not going to obey that command. That wouldn't be in the Lord, right? Whether or so, not he's a Christian or not. Yeah. Right. right. Okay. Good. So uh, that's my that's a quick answer. That Kent's got a much longer answer, Jacob. He does. Let's get into Kent's answer. He says, with reference to First Corinthians seven thirty nine and marrying only in the Lord, we need to remember that God only has one marriage law as found in the New Testament. He does not have a law for those who have never been married, a different law for the those innocent scripturally divorced individuals, and a law for non Christians, and a fourth law for widowed Christians. All accountable individuals are amenable to God's New Testament law regarding marriage. That being understood, the principle addressed in 1 Corinthians 7.39 is addressed equally to never, never having been married persons, scripturally divorced persons, non-Christians, and widowed Christians alike. All individuals who are scripturally qualified to be married must marry only a Lord. But what does only in the Lord mean, such as an adverbial phrase modifying the concept of marriage itself? To marry only in the Lord is a requirement to marry according to God's law regarding marriage. That is, marry one that is qualified for marriage. A single, never having been married, married person, uh, or never been married person, one whose former mate has died and one who has divorced their former mate because of fornication. While I have strong convictions against Christians marrying non-Christians because of the stumbling block that is placed in front of Christians, I cannot conclude that such a marriage within itself would be sinful. Please consider this one point. If a marriage itself is sinful, then one must dissolve such a marriage to be accepted with God. Indeed, we see that point regarding unscriptural divorce and remarriage. If a marriage between a Christian and non-Christian is within itself sinful, then one must dissolve such a marriage to be accepted with God. Considering all things equal, that would mean that there would be another scriptural reason to get a divorce in addition to the sin of fornication as per Matthew 5.32 and 19.9. A parallel case to consider is Ephesians 6, 1, where parent, yeah. children are to obey their parents in the Lord. Obviously, the passage does not mean the parents must be Christians before the children obey them. It means that children must obey the parents when the parents seek to do right. Sounds like we're reading the same book there, Kent. Yeah. I agree with you. All right. Thanks, Kent. Yeah. All right. That covers our questions that we put out. And we also it also gave us an opportunity to sort of lay some groundwork. When we get back from this break, we'll go to the top of the hour just trying to deal with some of these questions that have been asked. Okay. All right. Let's go uh, to the break fast, and then we'll get your comments on the other side. We'll get through as many as we can. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. 
If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study and hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. A majority, 52% of all Americans who self-identify as Christians think that at least some non-Christian faiths can lead to eternal life. The findings confirm that most people who take this view believe that even non-Christian faiths, including Judaism, Islam, and Hinduism, can lead to eternal salvation. That information is via the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life. The Word of God says in Acts 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. All right, we're going to the top of the hour now, and we're going to try and work through as many of the questions that have been submitted. We literally have a stack here yeah, of questions and, and emails in, the in this chat room. So let's go with the chat room here first. Well, let, me go, let me get a couple of comments from Anthony in the YouTube chat window first. Uh, he has just a couple of thoughts about what we we're talking about, pornography. Uh, he references James 1, 14 and 15. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed when he hath conceived it, bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Would you agree, as in keep dwelling and thinking of that woman or man lustfully and fornication will happen? And I think that is, uh, that's one of the problems with fornication. I mean, uh, pornography is that typically you're not content. Right. To stay and, and it will lead to other sins. That's one of the problems, not the only problem. But, yeah, it's a sin in itself and it leads to other sins. And then Buckeyes 247 says, It's always been my understanding of your view that if my wife commits adultery against me and presents me with divorce papers and has pretty much put me away, I can never remarry. So since I did nothing wrong and was unaware of the sin, I am condemned to never remarry. What part of that sounds just to you? God is a just God and it seems unjust. Be careful about that line yeah. of arguing. It seems to me, prove it from the scriptures. If my if I'm a put away person, Matthew nineteen nine, Matthew five thirty two says I can't remarry if I let my mate put me away. So I can't. I cannot. Uh, so in in some instances, there are instances where uh, both mates. So in, uh, so a guilty mate files papers against the innocent mate. That doesn't, present, that doesn't preclude the innocent mate taking action as well to put away the sinning mate. I think you, my answer to that would be you cannot be passive in the divorce process. If you, if you allow yourself to be put away uh, without any countermeasure, I think you've put yourself in a situation where you can't be married again. And put away, you, you, you are uh, uniquely a put away person. Again, we're looking at what God has said, not yeah. what we think God would expect. We, yeah. we, we're going with what God has explicitly stated. It, and it, to, to show that, that our human reasoning does, will not get us to the right spot on this subject, read Ezra chapter 10, where the children of Israel had taken strange wives, and they were instructed to put them away. And they put their wives away, and even there were some families there with children. Yeah. Now, that doesn't seem just, maybe in our eyes. But it's what God expected. And so, uh, again, our, our human reasoning just won't get us where we need to be on many subjects, this one included. Okay. All right. So let's get in the chat room and back way back up to the beginning. All right. Uh, yes, 4576 says, according to Matthew 19.8, it's clear that God never intended for a husband and wife to divorce at all for any reason. And in Malachi 2.16, the verse states that God hates divorce. We agree. The question is this. 
Since there's no verse anywhere in the Bible that specifically addresses remarriage after divorce, does this mean that there is truly no scriptural authority to remarry after divorce, including the commonly referred to exception clause that Jesus states in Matthew 19? First off, the, 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 the argument that's made is not, uh, is not continuous. Malachi chapter 2 verse 16 talks about God hating divorce. It doesn't talk about remarriage. So, the, so that verse is not applicable and here. And God does hate divorce. Anytime a divorce happens, somebody is sinning. Yes. God hates that. Right. So, I mean, yes, God hates divorce. There's no question about that. But the question is, logically, understanding Matthew 19 verse 9, if you, if you logically follow the construction of that, again, whosoever shall put away his wife... And marry another commits adultery, except it be for fornication. Just, I'm just I'm just taking the exception clause and putting it at the end rather than the middle. Just read it that way. Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another commits adultery, except it be for fornication. Yeah. That exception clearly makes the remarriage not adultery. There's your authority. It's 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 a necessary inference. Okay, um, along those lines. Um Stephen, <clears throat> oh no, that fit 4576. Some Christians believe, uh, let's see, uh, no, most conservative Christians believe that according to Matthew 199, that, that Jesus' response automatically allows the innocent spouse, the one who did not commit adultery, to remarry once they have put away or divorced their adulterous spouse. Since, since historically, conservative Christians commonly believe and practice that without command, example, and necessary inference, it is best to be safe and avoid a particular behavior, then why is this passage not regarded with the same caution? Why are so many Christians convinced that Jesus' statement automatically implies or authorizes that the innocent party can remarry when there is no mention of it in Matthew 19 or anywhere else in the New Testament regarding divorce? Are Christians guilty of adding to God's word or assuming something that is not authorized by God? Okay, I'm, not, I'm, I'm having trouble even finding that question, Jacob. But you've made the you've, you've made the argument that that the the wording of the of the instruction shows us that if the exception clause is is applicable, then the divorce and the remarriage are not adulterous. I agree. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, let me see here if I can. I'm Let's trying go. to catch up to where I'm, you're at. Okay, I, I jumped to. Uh, I'll, I'll take. I'll take that. I'm going to give you another question here from Randy in uh, Tim Nath, Colorado. Randy asked the question: Does it matter if I divorced or remarried before I became a believer? Does uh, it matter if this divorcing and remarriage maybe happened before I became a Christian? I don't think so. Um, uh, in other words, uh, to make it more specific. So I, I divorced my mate. I didn't have authority to do for, do it, and I remarried. I wasn't a Christian when all that happened. So my wife burned the biscuits, and I divorced her because I didn't like her anymore. She had not been unfaithful to me. I had not been unfaithful to her. I just divorced her. I didn't have authority to divorce her, and I remarried somebody else. But that was before I was baptized. That was before I became a Christian. Well, the answer is that was a sin, and you got to repent of your sins yep. in order to be saved. You can't continue. I stole a car three weeks before I learned the gospel and was baptized. Can I keep the car? Well, no. Uh, we would all say no to that. And so the same thing true of an un, 
scriptural marriage relationship, an adulterous marriage relationship, is not purified because I was baptized. It's still adulterous. Still adulterous, and I'd have to get out of that. And uh, okay, all right. Uh, now, now we, uh, let's go back. Okay, Jeff, I've got Stephen here. Yeah. Stephen says, "Answer me this. This is a real life example from my own life." Yeah. So Stephen, thanks for posing the question. He says, "I married my wife, now my ex-wife. This was my first marriage, her third. We were both Christians. My ex-wife divorced her first husband for reasons of abuse. She divorced her, d- divorced her second for reasons of infidelity and laziness. In our marriage, there was no infidelity or abuse. We both worked, but she divorced me. So answer me these two questions. A, am I still married to her in God's eyes? And B, were we ever married? Is she still married to her first husband? Good questions, uh, Stephen. She's she been looking for 10 years to answer I think the answer go all the way back to the first divorce of of, of your ex-wife. Her first divorce was unscriptural, and so she's not married to him anymore. But she is still bound. Romans of chapter that. seven speaks to this uh, scenario almost exactly. Where, uh, Read that woman, seven, two and three. Ver, yeah, verse two. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. So there's the first husband. She's bound to him as long as he lives. But if the f- husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she should be called an adulteress. So, yeah, she's yeah. an adulteress. Yeah. You were involved in an ad- adulterous relationship. Uh, and so, so you and, should be doing But remember, keep the words straight. You're not married. When a divorce happens, people aren't married anymore. When they separate, they're not married anymore. When they divorce or put away, they're not married anymore. But there's a, still a binding or a, a, a bond uh, that that exists. So you were she married. Was still to, bound. But you were married to that that wife. Yeah, just like uh, yeah. Well, exactly. The question B: Were we ever married? Yes. Romans chapter seven bound. verse three you says were, you were. You were married, but you weren't bound. Right. And and so it was it was an unscriptural marriage relationship. It should have never have existed. And so. Uh, you're not still married to her in God's eyes because you have divorced and you weren't ever bound because she didn't have a right to enter into that marriage relationship. I hope that helps. Okay. Uh, <coughs> Guest right. 4576 says, asks, some Christians believe that since Jesus' is teaching, or Jesus' only teaching on divorce is in response to the Pharisees' question regarding a reason to divorce, and because the old law was still in effect, that this means Jesus only gave the Jews the right to divorce a spouse for adultery and no one else. Is this true? No, it's not true. Jesus, because Jesus would be Jesus was teaching his law. Uh, Jesus was teaching his rules uh, pertaining to the kingdom, and uh, he would be contradicting Moses if if that if that were not the case. Because Moses said, you, if you have an unfaithful wife, you catch her uh, committing adultery, you stone her. Yeah. And the man, she, and you stone the man <clears throat> she's committing adultery with. So, uh, so notice it's kind of interesting. In Luke sixteen, uh, it says Luke sixteen sixteen says the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, notice the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presses into it, and then. In verse 18, just one verse later, whosoever put away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her is put away to, from her husband commits adultery. Jesus actually points out there, the law and the, most, the, law and the prophets uh, were until John, but now the gospel is preached. He's preaching the principles of the gospel. Good point. Okay, uh, guess 4576 asks, so then you're saying it depends on who files for the divorce first. Where are you seeing that? 
uh, in the chat room below uh, the, the, well, I don't know how I can point you to that. But, uh, so are you saying it depends on who files for the divorce first? Uh, no, I'm not saying that. Okay. Uh, I don't think that it's a race to the courthouse, but I do think you have to be active in the putting away process. Okay. Uh, please say, clarify, are you saying this applies to unbelievers and believers? Yes. Uh, the, God's law is universal on that. Um, let's see. Um, uh, okay. Stephen says, I think y'all just got off the rails on the marry, remarry based on who put away. Once divorced, no matter the reason, both parties are no longer married. That they're is not correct. That, that's true. Once they're divorced, they're not married, but they are still bound. They, yeah. they are potentially still bound okay. if they didn't, if the divorce did not follow the authority of the scriptures. Okay. That, that, remember, that, that's very important in the discussion. There's two different things. There's married and there's bound. And so once once the divorce takes place, they're not married anymore, but they one or both may still be bound and not free to remarry. Okay. 4576 says if the innocent party does not want the divorce and the guilty party puts them away, then there is no scriptural grounds for the divorce and no piece of paper stating divorce can separate what God has joined together. Correct? Uh, that's actually not correct. It, we're, we're told not to, but... You can do what God tells you not to do. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 10, To the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. So don't do it. Don't leave. Don't depart. The word depart there is synonymous with divorce. But if she does depart, let her remain unmarried. So it was not authorized, but she did it anyway, and the outcome was that they're not married anymore. Now, they're still bound, but not married. So, uh, again, keep your terminology straight, and it helps a lot. Make the distinction between married and bound. And so there's no scriptural grounds for divorce, but but you can do it. In other words, you're doing it without authority, and that's sinful. But it's, the outcome is still that it's a that it is a results in people not being married anymore. Okay. All right. Um, let's see. Um, uh, let me grab yeah, one go ahead, here. You from, do that. Well, I'm going to find more in the uh, chat room here. I'm waiting here's through. Here's one the from Dwight in Iowa. Uh, he says, "Here's a question I've been confronted with: A Christian couple, the man cheats on his wife, and the wife forgives him. Some years later, she cheats on him. Some years later, he just can't forgive, so he divorces her." He then, he then, after some months of his divorce, remarries a different Christian woman. To me, if he cheated on his first wife, even though she forgave him, he doesn't have the right to remarry simply because he committed adultery. Uh, her forgiving him doesn't seem to give him the right to remarry after her adultery. What a tangled web. I think it is uh, a, a, a truly tangled web. Oh, okay. I think it is a truly tangled web. But... I mean, this, this is, this is one of those instances of a lot of, um, uh, what if scenarios. But, so, let's say that I'm unfaithful to my wife. Okay. But she forgives me. Well, that's, that's, that's a, that's a done deal. That's a past episode. Ten years from now, my wife is unfaithful to me. Would I have authority to divorce her? Yes. There's authority for divorcing a mate. Now, my wife didn't exercise her, her opportunity to do that, but if I choose to, to exercise that right, I have the authority to do so. I don't, it sure would seem to be a harsh thing 
for a, for a man who's been forgiven of that himself to take that action against a wife who, who does the same thing he did. But technically speaking, there is authority for him to act in that way. Uh, it, 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 it sure seems like a harsh, hard-hearted thing for a man to do in that case. But I believe he would have authority to do so. But it does become a, a real tangled web. Okay, um, so Stephen ha- is confused here. He says, married but not bound. She was still married. This is his wife had been married before. She was still married. No, she wasn't still married, but I was married to her. No, she was still bound, and you were married to her. He says, I'm confused. I'm not trying to be difficult, but if she was still married, then wasn't I just... She wasn't still married, but she was bound, and, 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 and therefore not free to scripturally remarry. And, that's, and it was adultery. He says, then wasn't I just committing adultery with her in God's eyes? You weren't bound. You were, you were you married. You were committing adultery. You were married, but you weren't bound to her. And, and you and were that, committing And adultery. that, by definition, is an adulterous relationship that needed to end. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And could, okay, can Stephen remarry? Uh, I'm real. I'm real careful about telling who who can yeah, and can't because right. we don't, may not know all the circumstances, but potentially. Okay. I would say potentially. Okay. We're out of time. Oh, we are. We're over time. Uh, we got a we got a <clears throat> bunch more questions. We, we'll try to address these in a future program. All right. Uh, we have, we'll keep this stack here and keep it hot for another program. Kyle, we haven't had time to look in your direction tonight. Any comments? No, it's, uh, I just, uh, the question about anybody who divorces and just, you just, uh, not remarry, I think it's, it's extremely dangerous. I just, you're setting yourself up for a massive stumbling block for the rest of your lives. I just, uh, all these instances need to be thought and prayed over and just really, before you do any action. Yeah. I want to, I want to comment on Stephen's last comment in the chat room. He says, we're forgetting God's grace. But God's grace doesn't mean you can just spit in his face and ignore what he said. And, and that's what, I mean, that, that comment is, is repulsive to me that, that's, that Stephen would say, you know what? Uh, it doesn't matter what God said. It doesn't matter what Jesus said. It doesn't matter that Jesus uh, gave explicit instructions in Matthew 19.9. God's grace will cover it. Don't worry about it. Do whatever you want to do. That simply is not the case, uh, and if we're resorting to that to justify our disobedience, then we're in very uh, in a very bad spot. Yeah. All right. Okay, uh, Dad, thanks for a good discussion tonight. Thanks, Jacob. And thank you for being here. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.